Good morning. Glad everyone can be here today. And God's timing is always superior to our own. You know, as uh, a lot of the Psalms bring comfort during uh, hard times and even in good times, but especially in hard times. And then with this initiative that's going on with Love Life and with our Summerlink team and, and this group of students from Parkwood and you know, having a heart for student ministry, as me and my wife had served in student ministry for years, you know, trying to find evangelism initiatives that would work and people would catch hold of. What we'll see in this psalm as we look at each verse just builds on all these things. The, the main thing that you should walk away from today of hearing this psalm is the fact that God's plan still includes us as believers. So when we come to faith in Christ, God wants to use us to reach others. doesn't just stop with our own decision. Oh yes, I made the decision to follow Christ and then it ends. No, that decision gets stepped up because it's now my responsibility to help bring someone else just like someone brought me. And the cool thing about Psalm 45 is it was written as a wedding song. And what it is paralleling is the fact that Christ was sent, was to be sent, as the groom of the church. And the church was his bride. And that's what this psalm kind of illustrates. You know, the, in everyday life, we're always trying to figure out, you know, who likes us or who, why doesn't that person like me or that? And it gets deeper when, when love gets involved. Well, I ran across a story where there was a lady in Spain who had made the news when she chose a very unique way to test her husband's love. With the help of a friend, she manipulated her own kidnapping even sending her husband a ransom note. Now, when the police discovered that this kidnapping was a hoax, the lady was questioned as to why she would do such a thing. And she stated this, she said, I wanted to find out what my husband would do for me. Now, we all want to know what somebody would do for us, but we don't always want to manipulate it, but we're thinking in the back of our mind, who's going to be there for me? Who will go to bat for me? Who will stand up for me? And here's the, the thing that we can understand when we, when we decide to follow Christ. God is relentless in His pursuit of us. He will stop at nothing to see that everyone comes to faith. Now, here's the, here's the missing link, though. Even though God is relentless in His pursuit of us, He wants to use us in His pursuit of others. There are people in your pathway. They are a neighbor. They're a schoolmate. They're a best friend. They're uh, a cousin. They're just a friend. They're an acquaintance. They're somebody, a co-worker, a colleague, or somebody that we will come into contact with that God has a plan for their hearing Jesus, and you may be a part of that plan. So let's dive in with Psalm 45, beginning with verse 1. And the writer says, My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. 
And this writer begins this and writes this and says, Because of his great love for me, I am blessed with words of praise. So the writer understands that God is relentless and God's love is so deep, it's actually incomprehensible for, for us to understand it as mere humans. We know that he loves us, but we cannot actually comprehend with our simple minds the, how deep God's love goes for us. Even when you see it, there are sometimes you just shake your head and go, wow, God loves me that much that God is so relentless in his pursuit of me. And this writer writes it down and says, my heart is stirred by the fact that I recite these verses for the king and my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. It's because God places those words there and God allows his great love to flow through us. And you know, a lot of people have a lot of anxiety when it comes to sharing their faith. And it's just like any kind of story that you share, something funny that you see, something that you watch that you appreciate, you usually tell it. You run across a good sale, you have a great uh, article of clothing you love and you got it for a good price, you don't mind telling somebody about that. But we have a hard time and we kind of draw in when it's time to share our faith. And it's just a simple thing of telling people about what you feel God has done for you, how your life has changed, the things that make sense to you. And the other thing that goes along with that, you never really understand what's going on in people's lives. You can't see behind the skin. You don't understand what they're going through. So you might meet somebody who's short or rude or obnoxious and those things are hard to get over. And as you guys focus your summer and your, your days and I'm uh, upset that I can't be here this week, I'm driving back, I've got, to, uh, I've got to go back to Camp Lejeune and I won't be able to take part in this, the the activities you have this week, but I will be praying for you as I know that you'll be doing the things that God wants you to do. And understand when there are objections, somebody looks at you sideways and you feel ridiculous for sharing your faith, this person will never believe. Never underestimate the fact that God's words are powerful and they don't return void. No matter who the audience is, they don't return void. Let's move on. Verse 2. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. On earth, Jesus had no special beauty. There was nothing really special about his look. There was nothing special about him other than his, the fact that he was part of the Godhead. And you couldn't see that. You just had to understand that. So on earth, Jesus had no special beauty, but because he endured the cross as a human, just like you and I, a person that suffered from pain, sorrow, issues that humans deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. He was 100% human while being 100% God. And that in itself is hard to comprehend. But because he endured the cross, don't miss this. You've heard this before. If you've spent a lot of time in church, you've heard this phrase, for the joy set before him. Do you know what that means? The joy set before him meant that the fact that Jesus would endure the cross for each and every one of us and those that haven't made a decision to follow Christ, the joy set before him was the fact that he knew once he did that, the work was done. 
Nothing else had to be done. That was the final nail. That was it. That's all that had to be done. And when you say that, it kind of takes away from what he did, all that had to be done. He endured the most excruciating death that's ever been devised for humans. The most excruciating way to die. And he was mocked. And all those things on our behalf. So for the joy set before him is the fact that he knew that once he endured that, that he had secured our salvation. Ours and everyone else who has ever lived. And so which was the joy of presenting his bride, the church, believers, to his Father in glory, he now is what they have come to say is the fairest of all. And so Jesus knew by enduring the cross that he would set the church and get the salvation for each and every person that would ever make the decision to follow him as Lord and Savior. And then present this bride to his father and say, they're now sanctified in your eyes. I have paid the price. Man, that's a lot, a lot that's going on in just verse 2. We move on, verse 3. Gird your sword. On your side, you mighty one, clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. Jesus, like I said, suffered and died on the cross, not only to save sinners, but also to defeat evil and death. Now, of course, all evil and death still confronts us. We still have decisions to make. And some days we make good decisions. Some days we make eh, okay decisions. And some days we make... We make very, very bad decisions, don't we? We just, we shake our head and go, why in the world did I say that? Why in the world did I do that? It's because we're human and we're subjected to that. But the day that Jesus walked out of the tomb, he carried with it the keys to hell and death. He conquered it, but yet st humans still have to decide. There are, you still have friends around you that are, that are, trying to decide what, what they will do with their faith. Will they choose to accept Christ or will they reject it? Will they do that in the next year? Will it be 20 years? Will it be tomorrow? Will it be this week when you share your faith with them? But Jesus died on the cross not only to save us, but to defeat evil and death. We move on, verse 4. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. We also read in uh, books how it describes Jesus as a warrior. He is a, a warrior and he fights on our behalf because he had to go up against a mighty, mighty enemy which we know as Satan, he'll stop at nothing to get people to follow him as well. He wants as many to suffer with him as he can take. And that's just a fact. If we are suffering through something, we usually don't like to suffer alone. It's not that we want our friends or our family to suffer along with us, but we just don't want to suffer alone. You know, it's a nice thing when somebody comes up and puts their arm around you and tells you that you're praying for you, they, they're sorry for what you're going through. It's not a pity thing, it's a thing to say, I'm right there with you. I understand what you're going through. And it's nice to know that people are walking through the suffering with you. 
And we don't wish that on them, but Jesus fights for our behalf. And He went to war for us and does that continually for you because you know, as well as I do, that battle that goes on in your mind in what we know as our conscience is the fact that we should be making good decisions all the time, not only for ourselves, but those that God will place in our pathway that someday may have a question. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you worship this man called Jesus? And we need to have an answer. We need to be able to say with convincing words and not say, ah, it's just how I was raised. Ah, my mom and dad, if it was good for them, it's good for me. Ah, my best friend took me to church and we had a great time. We went here and we did that. And it seems like it makes sense. No, that, that, that won't cut it. Not in today's world when somebody can take a phone or a computer and look up the answer to anything and get who knows who talking about any kind of issue and can steer you in all kind of directions. And sometimes it depends on who gets to them first. So who is it? Your best friend, your co-worker, your cousin. Who's, who gets to them first? What if it's the person that's involved with drugs and uh, a cult or anything like that, what if they get to them first before you do? What if you have convincing words to convince them that Jesus is who He said He was and He continues to be that person, what if you get to them first? It kind of steps up the, the fact of our uh, responsibility, steps it up and gets it a little more um, in our face. Verse 5, let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. That's probably the most important verse in this entire passage. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Here's the main idea of this entire passage in today's message. God's chosen plan is for us to share His love. That's just the bottom line. That's God's chosen plan. He didn't choose to do it Himself. He chose to use us. So His chosen plan is for us to share His love. And when we do that, like we're supposed to, love is what brings real change and wins the war. As the, we saw in the video with this Love Life initiative, the, the young girl dancing on the stage is, is a very moving thing. It, it's hard to be anybody, whether, you know, no matter how you fall on the, the issue of abortion, that little girl dancing on the stage should move you, no matter where your stance is. And here's the bottom line is, God's chosen plan is to use us to reach people like her parents. God's chosen plan to reach people in the industry like those people that serve in that industry is for us to share His love. Because when we share God's love, that's what brings change. Life change comes when people see real love and that's what wins the war. Years ago there was a, a scientist and, a, and a, uh, an American scientist and he was visiting his friend who won a Nobel Peace Prize um, and he won it for uh, physics, and his name was Niels Bohr. 
and he lived in Copenhagen. And he was, uh, the American scientist was amazed that when he walked into Bohr's office over his desk, he had a horseshoe hung up. And if you've ever seen anybody hang a horseshoe, they hang it like this, and here's why. So it had to open end up in the approved manner so that it catches good luck as the good luck you know, waves by as it does. It just blows in the wind and it, and it landed in that, it lands in the upside down horseshoe. And so the American said kind of nervously with a laugh, he said, surely you don't believe that that horseshoe will bring you good luck, do you? And the professor looked at him, he said, after all, as a scientist, and at that point, Bohr interrupted him, his, his buddy who lived in Copenhagen, and said, I believe in no such thing, my good friend, not at all. I am definitely not likely to believe in such foolish nonsense. However, I am told that a horseshoe will bring you good luck whether you believe in it or not. Now, here's the other part. As you, as you witness to those others, as you share your faith with others, you will undoubtedly come across somebody who says, how in the world can you believe that? How in the world can you believe such, and they may call it nonsense. And as I've had to do with, with some, the fact that I believe it, the fact that I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, gave his life for me, and on the third day rose again so that I can live with him eternally, the fact that I believe that doesn't make it true. You understand that, right? The fact that we believe that doesn't make it true. Well, here's the beautiful part of that. The fact that the person that you're talking to doesn't believe it doesn't make it not true. And they have to wrestle with that question. They're the ones that have to make the decision. So understand that the fact that we believe it doesn't make it true. And just because somebody doesn't believe it doesn't make it true. No matter how they call it, they can call it nonsense. They can call it uh, ridiculous. They can call it whatever they want to. The fact that I believe it doesn't make it true. The fact that you believe it doesn't make it true. And the fact that millions of people don't believe it has no bearing on the fact whether it's truth or not. Understand that when you're speaking to someone. We move on to verse 6. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. God's reign is eternal. There is no end time to God's reign. It has always been and it will always be. His reign is eternal. He only, He is the only, is righteous and holy. We are not. We have to have to strive for righteousness. We have to strive for holiness, but we, we can't attain it without His help. So He only is righteous and holy. Belief is not necessary, like I just said, to make this true. The, the fact that people say they believe something, they think it adds weight to it. They think that that makes it more believable. The fact that somebody disbelieves it doesn't make it any not true for me. I, I don't but so many people look at it and, and put that kind of weight to it. Belief's not necessary to make the fact that God's reign is eternal, that it's true. And then let's look at verse 7. Your love, righteousness, and hate 
You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Jesus was anointed king of all kings. And the one way to really understand that is you have to go back in the Old Testament and understand that when God was moving his people out of uh, Egypt through the Exodus, you know, it was just several years later that they said, we want a king like everybody else. We want you to anoint a king for us. And God said, I'm your king. I will lead you. You pay attention to what I say. I will be your king. No, we, we want a human king like everybody else. We want a king like that nation and like that nation. And God told them, you don't want that kind of king. But they did. They insisted and God gave them a king. And if you ever want to know how that uh, turned out, start reading the Old Testament. And be prepared to just shake your head at the Israelites wanting a king for all the years that they struggled with that. And the fact that Jesus came and said, I'm here to set up an earthly or a, a worldly spiritually kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And it will reign forever. It will never come to an end. They didn't understand it. So he was anointed as the king of all kings. There's no other king above King Jesus. He is the king of all kings. We move on to verse 8. <coughs> Excuse me. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia, from palaces adorned with ivory. The music of the strings makes you glad. His robes now, when, when we read story of, stories of, of Jesus' robes, they're now a striking contrast to the past when the soldiers gambled for his clothes. In other words, when people have written about Jesus and seeing Jesus in his glory and the light and the fact that they couldn't look at it is a very, very dark contrast to the fact of when Jesus was put on the cross and they gambled for his clothes. And they were mocking him and making fun of him and ridiculing him and the fact that Jesus knew all that time of what he was accomplishing, the joy set before him in preparing his bride for that wedding on the day when he comes back to, to get us and take us home. The mention of a palace in that verse illustrates his rightful place, which we hear a lot in Scripture, at the right hand of God. <clears throat> he took his place as soon as he was finished, as soon as he completed what God had given him to do, which was die on our behalf, he was seated at the right hand of God. And ivory is just a nod to the, the pinnacle of prosperity which the world looks to. Oh, you know, that the world is so materialistic and all these things. And it's saying that that ivory is included in this. And we see that in, in descriptions of heaven. Of heaven is, is going to be so beautiful, we can't even comprehend it. We can't even understand how beautiful it will be. You know, there are places on the earth that we all love, place, places that we're drawn to, places that we vacationed or visited, and we think, man, that is such a great place. You take heaven and you multiply that by 100, and you still won't even be where where it is i've stood on a beach in in maui and i thought man what a great place to call home i've also stood on a little place called oak island which i love 
and stood out and looked at you know, a sunset or a sunrise and think, man, it just doesn't get any better than this. And yet heaven will be a hundred times better than that. We move on. Verse 9, daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. The bride is accompanied by her bridesmaids. Usually you've, you see that in a wedding. She wants her, her closest friends to be near her. And so the bride is accompanied by her bridesmaids. And here's, here's kind of the picture that this paints of the church. The saints and the martyrs, the faithful ones that died for their faith, are kind of like the bridesmaids, the ones that will accompany the church, those people who gave their life, gave everything they had so people like you and I could sit in an air-conditioned building and hear this word thousands of years later. People that were burned at the stake or hung upside down or whatever they went through, just so you and I could hear the gospel, those people are included in this beautiful picture. We move on, verse 10. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. When we accept Christ as our Savior, the Scripture says our old lives are exchanged for new lives. It doesn't mean everything in the world changes. Some of us, it, it's an immediate change, and some things change immediately, and a lot of things change right away. For, for those of us that uh, are more hard-headed and more stubborn, it's a slower process. It takes some time. And it takes uh, new habits and it takes years sometimes to actually grasp what we're going through. So when we accept Christ, our old lives, our old way of looking at things should go away. That, that should pass away and we have a new focus. It doesn't mean all our habits go away. You know, I used to tell students all the time, they would, they'd come and you know, talk to me and my wife and be upset that they still hung around some of the same friends and, and they were having struggles in different areas. And look, you know, just because you make a decision to follow Christ doesn't make you perfect. You're still a human living in this world and you have to deal with human things. It's not a magic. I even had a student look at me one time and say, now it, gets a whole lot, it gets a whole lot easier, doesn't it? No, it actually gets harder. Life gets harder. It's a whole lot harder to be the one standing up for the right things when everybody else is turning toward the wrong things. That's a tough battle. And it's a tough battle when you're going through all so many other things. So understand that when we accept Christ, our focus should change. We have a new direction, a new aim for our attention. And our old lives should be exchanged for new ones. And here's how we do that. Forgetting what is behind, we press on toward the prize. And we, we say, you know what? That, that used to be a part of my old life. I'm going to distance myself from that, and that has to go away. And here's why. Here's why we have to do that. Like we said before, as Jesus was enduring the cross, as He is the groom and the church is being prepared as the bride, for the joy set before Him is this fact, that He was removing sin from our lives. You know, when God set up the sacrificial system, in the Old Testament, you read how if a person committed wrong, they had to take an animal, take it to the priest, and it had to be slaughtered. Innocent blood had to be shed to pay for that sin. 
Well, there was nothing wrong with God's system. Man messed it up. Man is the one that distanced himself from God and could not get back. So God used a perfect sacrifice, a once and for all, and that was Jesus. Listen to me. The things that get in your way, the things that cloud our decision making, the things that cause us to go away from God, that thing that's called sin, sin was removed. Hear me well now. Sin was removed. Doesn't mean I won't ever commit it again, but as far as me placing my trust in Christ and saying what you did for me paid my sin debt, sin is removed. And it was removed as far as the east is from the west. He took it away. He paid the sin debt that I can't repay. Verse 11. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. Christ loves us, and above that, he desires that all come to faith in him. Not, not as many as can, not as many as you can count in your feeble mind. No, God wants all. He wants everyone to come to faith in him because Christ paid the sin debt for everyone, not just a few, for everyone. Verse 12, the city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favor. In David's time, Tyre was a wealthy and powerful city, and its king was the first ruler from a foreign country that recognized David's kingship. He was the first one that actually accepted David as a fellow king from a foreign country. We move on, verse 13. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. On her wedding day, the bride is beautifully adorned. I love doing weddings and, and I've always enjoyed that. It's a, it's a fun day in the, in the groom and the bride's uh, life. And one of the things that I've learned is uh, over the years, you know, there's different anxieties. Most of the time, the, the bride is the least anxious. It's the groom. And they look at you all worried and they're trying to plan how they want the wedding to go and I've had some look at me and say, all I want to do is say I do. I don't want to, I don't want to say a bunch of words. I don't, I don't want to have to come up with things to, to say. All I want to do is say I do. And I have to remind the groom, I said, you know, how long have you planned your wedding? And most of them look at it and say, well, the, I guess the day I asked her to marry me. And I have to remind him, I said, yeah, but she's been planning it since she was three. You know, in her Barbie house and all this and in her Barbie Corvette and all those things. She has planned this since she was three years old. And you kind of have to play along. And it's, you know, it's just one day. Just one day, give her everything she wants. And you may have to say a little more than I do, but I'll work with you and I'll help you. But as we see on her wedding day, that is the bride's day. It's not anybody else's, and I've had to have that conversation. You know, the bride says, well, my aunt and my uncle or my mom or so-and-so is really trying to make this their day. And I have to remind them, no, it's, it's your day. And just as the bride is being prepared for the wedding, just so the church is being prepared for Christ, and it is the church's day, when Christ comes back to claim us as His own and take us to be with His Father and live eternally 
That is the church's wedding day. We move on, verse 14. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her. The bride is made to feel special and is surrounded by her closest friends. And it, as we look forward to a day when Christ is coming back, maybe some of us look forward to that more than others. There used to be a time when I would bargain with God, God, you know, please, I, I want to get married, I want to have kids, I want to do these things. But as I've gotten older, you know, Christ could come tomorrow and I'd be, I'd be happy. I'm tired of living in a world that doesn't seem to understand where it's going sometimes and I'm ready for that day the day when when the church will be prepared for the groom verse 15 led in with joy and gladness they enter the palace of the king and the bride shares this day with those that are happy for her and the groom they share that day with their closest friends with their family they are all excited they're all happy and that is the goal of what Jesus had on the day that he paid our sin debt. And then the third day when he walked out of the grave, knowing that he held the keys to hell and death in his hand. Verse 16, your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. Another reference is made to the fact that the future should be greater than the past. History is a great thing. I wish I'd have paid more attention in school because I love things about history now that as a student I just absolutely was bored to death of. But I, I love history because we, we learn from history. We learn when we make mistakes in our daily lives. Have you ever made such a bad decision and when you came out of that decision you went, I will never do that again. I'm sure if, if you're like most people, you have at least one or two of those in your life where you said, I made that decision once, I will never make that decision again. That will never happen to me again. And finally, verse 17, I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. We, as believers, are living proof that Jesus' name will not be forgotten and that nations continue to praise Him. And, and also, be careful when you're talking to someone. People have a funny way of showing praise. You know, praise is an exalting thing. Praise is something that lifts up. It doesn't take anything away. And understand that People not always are who they say they are or believe the right thing. We're living proof that Jesus' name will not be forgotten. The, the fact that He paid our sin debt and He is the only way into heaven. He's it. We're living proof of that. But understand that praise is complete exalting. It's a lifting up. It's not taking anything away. And it says that God's reign will be eternal, His name will never be forgotten. One of the toughest things to have to, to deal with uh, you know, in life are the times when we are let down by ourselves. And sometimes that's something that we do in and of ourselves. You know, there's times you look back and go, I just can't believe 
that I did that or I said that, and we let ourselves down. And if you're a, if you're a person that is really hard on yourself, you know, those days are they're hard to come out of. You know, when, when we come down on ourselves, it's enough when somebody else does it. Because when somebody else does it, we kind of bristle up, don't we? We bristle up and we kind of fight back or we say something. But we, it's okay when we do it ourselves. And the problem is sometimes we're way, way, way harder on ourselves than we have to be. Understand this. We're human and we make mistakes. We do things wrong, but there's a, a, a way for us to come out of that. There's a way that we can come out of a bad decision, uh, a path in life that maybe we put ourselves there, but there's a time and a place for us to say, you know what, it's time to move on. It's time to tamp that down, stop thinking about it, stop looking back, and say it's okay. God loves me. God wants the very best for me. And understand, through it all, God's chosen plan is for all to come to faith in Him. And don't forget this part. God's plan is to use you and I to share His love. That's basically what it comes down to. Because when we do that, love brings real change. And that is what will win this world over. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another day that you've given us. We thank you for the words that you've allowed us to hear. We thank you for the writer of this psalm and their intent. And thank you for those that gave their lives and gave of their, themselves, gave their talents, their abilities to make it possible for us to be able to study your word in 2021 and understand who you are and that that can perpetuate itself and that the name of Jesus will go forth. I pray for all the activities that will go on this week surrounding not only King's Church, but these other uh, churches and these other initiatives that are going on. Pray that you will bring, us, uh, bring those to mind so if we're physically unable to be there, that we can pray for those that are actually on the ground doing these activities. And Lord, I pray for each person as the conversations that will happen and words need to... Uh, be utilized, that you'll give them opportunities to share their faith and do it in an effective way, and that your words will not return void. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.